Arms for an ex-lipper. Arms for a podcaster. If you like this show, please go to sobcast.tumblr.com. That's S-O-V-C-A-S-T dot tumblr dot com. And look for the donate button. It's right there at the top. I'll, I'll just wait here while you go do that, okay? Hello? Anvil of Crom by Basil Polidorus. Welcome to Sobcast. I am your host, Jeff, and I am a Sob, or Seeker of Veritas. Veritas meaning truth. This time in... Wait, what? There's good news? I guess I kind of owe him an apology. Nah. Adam and Eve? Adam and Steve? Or Alice and Eve? Bernie Sanders does it again and again and again. Then in hard-thrusting news, racism, classism, and the Second Amendment, the TTP, no, it's not for wiping one's butt, but it should be, then an elementary graduate, fall from grace, and a boorish ham. Then in Oedipal Earth, when I said I like my fish battered and oiled, then in cool shit, saved from bacteria by the skin of shark's teeth, it's no pottery barn, and time for a quickie, pun intended. Then in not, not noteworthy news, if kids taught sex ed, then to finish the show, don't chase bears with dull hatchets if you're drunk, with a segment I call Darwin Weeps. But first, and wait, what? There's good news? I guess I kind of owe him an apology. Nah. I think it was the last episode that I talked about the Anti-Affordable Care Act guy that's now going blind. Well, wait, what? There's good news. Update. Lewis Lang quits GOP and calls for single payer. Once again, in a until it happens to them and theirs, Republicans are incapable of empathizing with a stranger, lifelong Republican turns on his party and embraces Obamacare. Lewis Lang, who is currently crowdfunding for medical expenses that he can't afford because he didn't sign up for insurance under Obamacare, has become a viral sensation. However, the 49-year-old South Carolina resident says he doesn't want to be the poster child for the Republican Party's opposition to health care reform anymore. In an interview with Think Progress, Lang joked that he might be the most hated Republican in the country right now. Nah, don't be foolish. There's at least 20 ahead of you right now. But he also said that, thanks in part to a flood of media attention that led him to learn more about the health care policy, he doesn't identify with the GOP anymore. Yes! Rejoice, brothers and sisters, praise be to the Holy Trinity, Empathy, Logic, and the Goddess Veritas, for they have finally become seekers of truth. Now, don't freak out. I don't really believe in the Goddess Veritas. It's just that Veritas was the Roman goddess of truth. Lang said, now that I'm looking at what each party represents, my wife and I are both saying, hey, we're not Republicans. Well, that'll learn you for not learning ya. I only speak beginner's redneck, sorry. Lang went on to say that he wants to rip up his voter registration card on national television so Americans will have proof that he's making the switch. Wow! And you've only been voting against your own interests for 30 years or so? Better late than never? Lang said he always tried to take responsibility for his own bills, but he also believes that the United States should move towards a universal health care system that makes coverage available to anyone regardless of their income levels. He went on to say that he 100% agrees with the people who commented on his crowdfunding page to argue that health care is a human right. 
So in conclusion, my fellow seekers of Veritas, in the land of the ignorant, the man who is going blind is king. It goes like this, the fourth, the fifth, the minor fall, the major lift, the baffled king composing, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Hallelujah by Rufus Wainwright. Our next story, Adam and Eve, Adam and Steve, or Alice and Eve. Ireland's citizens have voted in a landslide to legalize gay marriage, electoral officials announced Saturday, a stunningly lopsided result that illustrates what Catholic leaders and rights activists alike called a social revolution. Friday's referendum saw 62.1% of Irish voters say yes to changing the nation's constitution to define marriage as a union between two people, regardless of their sex. Outside Dublin Castle, watching the results announcement in the cobblestone courtyard, thousands of gay rights activists cheered, hugged, and cried as they heard the news. Ireland is the first country to approve gay marriage in a popular national vote. Nineteen other countries have legalized the practice through their legislatures and courts. I'm glad it worked out for them, but the whole idea of voting on civil rights is sketchy at best. I mean, if we had voted on the rights of African Americans in this country back in the civil rights movement, it probably wouldn't have passed. And our next story, Bernie Sanders does it again and again and again. Today I have a couple of clips of what it sounds like when a politician really does work for the people. Let's have a listen. Millions of American workers are now working for totally inadequate wages. The current federal minimum wage of seven and a quarter an hour is a starvation wage and must be raised. Raising it to $15 an hour over the next few years. Further, we must establish pay equity for women workers. And we need paid sick leave and guaranteed vacation time for every worker in this country. Personally, I'd like to see the minimum wage go up immediately, but I have to cut Bernie some slack, for in the American political system, nothing good for the people gets done immediately. If you have seen a massive transfer of wealth from the middle class to the top one-tenth, one percent, you know what, you've got to transfer that back. Radical socialist Dwight D. Eisenhower was president. I think the highest marginal tax rate was something like 90. It was 90. When you think about 90%, you don't think that's obviously too high? No. What I think is obscene, and what frightens me is, again, when you have the top one-tenth of one percent owning almost as much wealth as the bottom 90. Does anybody think that that is the kind of economy this country should have? We think it's moral. You've got people not working one job, they're working two jobs, three jobs. People scared to death about what happens tomorrow. Half the people in America have less than $10,000 in savings. The whole 90% taxation freaks a lot of people out because they think it means that if you made $100,000, that the government would take 90000 in taxes. But that's not correct. All it means is, let's say hypothetically, you were making $100,001, and I wanted to charge you 30% on the first $100,000, and 90% tax, but only on the last dollar. That would be $30,000 out of the $100,000, and 90 cents out of that last dollar. It's not that big a fucking deal. As long as they only impose such a 90% tax on people who are fairly well to very well off. 
Burn, baby, burn by the Tramps. And now it's time for Hard Thrusting News. Why do I call it Hard Thrusting News? Because it's hard to find a news story where someone isn't getting fucked. You get up and howl about America and democracy. Well, a very, very heavy, uh, heavy divertation. It's hard to talk when you're TV-bagging. Fucking Phil O'Reilly sucks! Tonight's forecast, dark. Continued dark tonight, turning to partly light in the morning. I'm Ron Burgundy. Go fuck yourselves. Hey, what's happening, man? Our first story, Racism, Classism, and the Second Amendment. Last week, I saw a video of two different guys doing an open carry demonstration. They both had AR-15s, and while I don't like the whole open carry of assault rifles, the two men should be treated the same under the law. Let's see if you can hear the difference between these two guys' encounters with the police. Here's the first video. How you doing, sir? Okay. Any particular reason why you're carrying the AR, especially around this point? I'm just exercising my I understand that, but is there a reason why you're just walking around? Wow, that cop seemed fairly reasonable, considering he was talking to a man carrying a hose that sprays death. But until the law is changed, that's the way it has to be. Pulled out the gun. He's getting down. The guy, he's just walking up and carrying. I do not consent to any search and seizure of my property. Sir, just an action. They're taking his weapon. Or not. Can you guess the difference in these two videos? If you guessed that the second open carrier had more melanin, you'd be absolutely correct. Even if it's a shit law that should be changed, until it's changed, everyone should be treated the same under the law, no matter how white they aren't. For instance, if I was out and about, and I rounded a building and ran smack dab into a person carrying an assault rifle, my knife would be out in about one second. Even though, in some places, I could get in more trouble for having that knife than if I had my own assault rifle. There are 28 states with no laws banning open carry, while there are only 10 states where you can carry any knife any way you choose. Speaking of which, here's an example of a strange weapons law from Florida. Yes, Florida. Weapon means any dirk, knife, metallic knuckles, slingshot, billy club, tear gas gun, chemical weapon or device, or other deadly weapons, except for a firearm, plastic knife, blunt-bladed table knife, or a common pocket knife. The definition of common is left purposely vague as to let the cops enforce it or not enforce it at their discretion. Isn't it amazing that a firearm under this law isn't defined as a weapon? So what does the Second Amendment say anyways? And I quote, A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. You noticed it said arms, not firearms. So what's the definition of arms? Well, the whole arm, forearm, coat of arms page on dictionary.com is a little complicated, but it all gets simpler when you just go to the synonyms of arms. <clears throat> 
Synonyms like weapons, armaments. Wait, according to that weird law, I thought firearms weren't weapons. Anyways, there are many sayings about arms that go back way before firearms. In fact, the term arms as a weapon has been in use for more than a thousand years. Sayings like, to arms, to arms, as in grab your sharp and pointy things and get fighting. And the label of man-at-arms, which means one who is trained in the use of said sharp and pointy things. And I know what you're saying. It's obvious the Founding Fathers meant firearms. I mean, it's the only real weapon, right? I'll have you know that George Washington himself carried a sword into battle. Here's a big problem with the right to bear only firearms. A low-end handgun costs around $300 and another $300 on average for the carry concealed weapons permit and course. So that's around $600, which is a little pricey for your average law-abiding poor person. Then you need a holster and ammunition, as where you can get a decent knife for opening up boxes, dangerous people, and large bitey dogs for less than $50. The knife is, and always has been, the weapon of the poor, which is one of the reasons laws favor gun owners. In the Middle Ages, it was said that killing a man with anything less than a sword was disgraceful. Who said that, you may ask? Well, by pure coincidence, it was the people who could afford swords, which in modern-day money, back then a sword would have cost about as much as a sports car. Awfully convenient for the rich to think the sword was the only honorable weapon, huh? About as convenient as the right to bear only firearms. Now a gun is just a gun. It has no other function than putting bullet-sized holes in things. For instance, I've never been at a Christmas party and heard, Damn it! I can't get this box open! Does anyone have a gun I can borrow? Oh, and do you remember that old episode of Rescue 911 where they had to shoot the seatbelt off that old lady who was trapped in her car? No? Me neither because EMTs carry knives, not guns. There are a lot of states where you can get in trouble for carrying the wrong strength or amount of pepper spray, a ninja star, weapon that's not meant to kill, unless you're in a martial arts movie, or a baton, or a knife that's too long, or opens the wrong way, or doesn't open the right way, or if the knife looks scary. And yes, that last one is not made up. But in more than half of America, you can walk around with an assault rifle with hundreds of rounds of ammunition like you're some kind of bad B-movie action star. It's ridiculous, and potentially very dangerous. Even a tactical folder, aka a folding fighting knife, is many times more practical than a gun for most people. I grew up in a hick town, and like a lot of the other residents who grew up there, I've carried a tactical folder for years, and have used them hundreds of times on inanimate objects like boxes, strings, duct tape, and even fruit. And one time, even dropped one down the stairs, and even though it was loaded, because a knife is always loaded, luckily it didn't go off and stab through me or through my apartment wall killing an innocent bystander. Ah, but you may say a gun is a better weapon because you can shoot someone at a distance. Think about the last time you argued with someone. Did you meet at dawn at 30 paces? Or were you just out of arm's reach? The truth about civilian confrontations is that most of them occur at six feet or less. Which, if you know anything about knife fighting, is knife fighting range. The police and the military consider the effective range of a knife to be any distance less than 21 feet. Go to Google and search 21 feet. Oh, and if you watch the Mythbusters video, just remember that they're using an unsecured gun in a quick draw rig. Even though Adam did have to slide his pistol and disengage the safety, most handgun holsters have latches. 
not to mention a concealed carry holster, which is what most of you will be carrying, typically takes a little more time to draw a handgun from. Don't believe me or the Mythbusters? From September 1854 to December 1978, 254 officers died from wounds received in an armed encounter. The shooting distance in 90% of those cases was less than 15 feet. Contact to 3 feet, 34%. 3 feet to 6 feet, 47%. 6 feet to 15 feet, only 9%. A gun does not equal invincible. You think you're invincible because you have a gun and you go to the range and shoot at static targets once a month? Here's what skilled, trained people who are theoretically ready for confrontations can do. In 1992, where distances could be determined, the overall police gunfire accuracy was only 17%, and that was at distances of under 45 feet. Less than 9 feet, accuracy of 28%. 9 feet to 21 feet, accuracy of 11%. 21 feet to 45 feet, the accuracy drops to 4.2%. Just think about where all those missed rounds ended up and tell me it doesn't give you a little shudder. Instead of going to the shooting range all the time, you'd be better off getting some squirt guns and playing in the yard with your kids. It will teach you to move, anticipate, and track moving targets, all while being a somewhat morbid bonding experience with your kids. Don't have kids? Join a paintball league. So basically the purpose of my whole rant is that I think most people should carry knives instead of guns, especially if you're not going to learn how to put your rounds where you mean them to go, and just use the spray and pray method. A knife is a tool that, if it's ever necessary, can be used as a weapon. As where handguns and assault rifles are weapons 100% of the time, not to mention weapons that are many orders of magnitude more dangerous to people you don't even intend to hurt or kill. If you're still not convinced, think on this. Have you ever heard of an innocent bystander dying from an accidental stab wound outside of Shakespeare? And that was a sword, by the way. Literally a little more room for error. How many times have you heard the news stories about accidental shootings? If you haven't been paying attention, in 2007, the United States suffered some 15 to 19,000 accidental shootings. More than 600 of these shootings proved fatal. The total number of Americans killed and wounded by gun accidents exceeds the total number killed or injured in fires. So how's about you get yourself a knife and leave the assault rifles at home? If it makes you feel better, you can still show off by getting a thousand dollar custom made knife. Or a big ass bowie knife, if it's allowed where you live. System of a down deer dance. Our next story. TPP. No, it's not for wiping one's butt, but it should be. TPP stands for Trans-Pacific Partnership and is a trade deal that has been called NAFTA on steroids and except for some leaked information has been kept a secret from the people and even a lot of the politicians who will be voting on whether or not to make it the law of the land. To give you all the ins and outs of just how horrible the TPP is would take hours. So I came up with a useful allegory to tell you basically all you need to know about it. Let's just say you're sitting at home and there's a knock on the door. You answer the knock and find a businessman and a Japanese film crew. The businessman informs you that the government has signed you up to participate in a video. You ask, what type of video? The businessman informs you that you are required to kneel with your eyes closed and your mouth open and swallow whatever the nice Japanese men give you. 
And if you don't swallow, you'll have ruined their entire video and they'll sue you for every penny you're worth. To this, you rightfully respond, I don't want to do this. I never signed up for this. The businessman turns to the Japanese filmmakers and says, Oh, these little people. It's cute that they think they ever had a choice. And believe it or not, that's not far from the truth. The greatest tool the TPP gives foreign corporations is a provision buried in the fine print of the closely guarded draft, as Elizabeth Warren puts it. This is the Investor's State Dispute Settlement, or ISDS, which grants multinationals the power to sue any government that interferes with their business. Yep, if some regulation in a TPP country is hurting a corporation's bottom line, it can sue for millions to billions of dollars, says Jake Smith, director of NRDCs, the International Program Disclosure. This has happened in other agreements with similar language, Schmidt says. He points out that nearly 500 ISDS cases have been brought, including a Swedish company that sued Germany because it decided to phase out nuclear power after Japan's Fukushima disaster, and a Delaware-based oil and gas company, Lone Pine Resources, which is suing the Canadian government under NAFTA for more than $250 million because Quebec placed a moratorium on fracking. Speaking of fracking, the TPP would expand the export of fossil fuels and pave the way to more fracking and therefore more emissions. It's a major deal because Japan is one of the countries in TPP and happens to be the highest importer of natural gas. To export natural gas to another country, the U.S. Department of Energy must first assess whether sending the fuel overseas is consistent with the public interest. The Energy Department, however, loses its authority to regulate exports to countries which the United States has a trade agreement. The TPP would force it to automatically give those exports a green light. You can see where this is going. Countries that sign on to the TPP, whether the original 12 or those that join later, as China is expected to, will be able to import gas from here, then have the power to sue over any future fracking moratorium or bans in the West. Similarly, the trade deal could spur more coal mining in the West. While U.S. consumption of the dirty fuel has been in decline, TPP countries, including Japan, Malaysia, and Vietnam, are relying more and more on coal to keep the lights on. Air and water woes. With increased fossil fuel development comes more water and air pollution. Fracking, for instance, has been shown to contaminate local aquifers and drinking water. Adding insult to injury, considering the four-year drought gripping the West, the drilling method is also very water-intensive. Fracking also sullies the air. One of the byproducts released, polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons, has been linked to cancer and respiratory ailments. Coal production comes with its own set of toxic consequences, including degraded waterways, habitat fragmentation, and health risks like pulmonary disease. And, of course, whatever fossil fuels we pull out of the ground will contribute to global carbon emission and climate change. Fill her up! The TPP's environmental effects would extend beyond wells and mines. Once fossil fuels are out of the ground, they're on the move across the country and then around the world. As recent experience has shown us, there are no guarantee of safe transport either by pipeline or train. By the time the fuels wind up in export terminals, extensive damage to the coastal environments has already been done. Construction of such terminals requires dredging sensitive estuaries to make room for massive tankers and, of course, facilitates the burning of the fossil fuels being transported. Opposition has blocked some proposed facilities by delaying approval of others, such as the LNG or liquefied natural gas terminal near Astoria, Oregon, for several years. Update. 
the energy department gave it's okay for the LNG gas terminal in Astoria, Oregon last year. Awesome. Oregon has a number of proposed LNG terminals, and the TPP could remove roadblocks to their construction. Looks like it already has. Fishy business. Americans love fish. Each year we eat nearly 5 billion pounds of seafood, or about 15.8 pounds of fish and shellfish per person. Most of that, up to 90%, is imported, according to the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. Of course, we aren't the only ones with a fondness for tilapia and tuna. To meet demand, the global fishing industry is dramatically depleting stocks all over the world, while fish farms pollute waterways. The leaked environmental chapter of the TPP attempts, but utterly fails, to address overfishing. It has language about prohibiting shark finning, preventing illegally caught fish from entering international trade, and having regional fishery managers institute best practices. Sounds good, right? Wait. The right words are going to be in the chapter, but they won't have any teeth. That's because the pact doesn't require countries to abide by these provisions. The problem is words like must or shall are legally binding, as where we've seen a lot of words like strive and endeavor. I'm not sure how you'd penalize a country for not striving or endeavoring. So the fish we import could still be illegally caught, and what's more, the United States wouldn't be able to ban imports of products not up to safety standards. Shrimp aquaculture in Vietnam and Malaysia, for instance, use pesticides and antibiotics that are forbidden in the United States. The TPP will bring a tidal wave of dangerous fish imports that will swamp the border inspectors who already can't keep up with the tainted agricultural imports we have today. Dirty Laundry China has long been known as the world leader in cheap apparel manufacturing, but Vietnam is now billing itself as the best, cheaper option. If the TPP comes to pass, tariffs on clothing between the United States and Vietnam will drop from 17.2% to zero. With its use of extensive amounts of water, energy, and harmful chemicals, the textile industry makes the clothes we wear dirty, even if we never see the pollution. China, which produces more than 50% of the world's fabric, is trying to clean up its act. But green groups are increasingly concerned about clothes made in Vietnam, which already dumps huge amounts of untreated sewage into its waterways. While the TPP, which negotiators hope to finalize by the end of the year, is the most immediate concern, the proposed Transatlantic Trade and Investment Partnership, or TTIP, a trade deal between the United States and the European Union, is also worrying environmentalists. So, like I said, believe it or not, my allegory is not that far from the truth. So what can you do? First, go to whoismyrepresentative.com and find out who represents you in Congress and contact them. You've got less than a month, I do believe. After that, the only way to truly put a stop to stuff like this is to remove corporate interest and money from politics. To learn how, go to wolf-pack.com. That's W-O-L-F dashpac.com or you could just get down on your knees close your eyes open up that mouth and take what's coming to you Now it's time for a segment I call Elementary Graduate. The joke here is, 
if you came out of the elementary canal, it means you're a piece of shit. You know, you really are an asshole. Why don't you just shut up and sing this song, pal? Asshole by Dennis Leary. Our first story, Fall from Grace. Our first piece of shit is Nancy Grace. Listen as Dr. Drew schools her on cannabis. That millions and millions of Americans can light up a joint and have been since the age of Woodstock without impairing the families, uh, okay, driving you know recklessly or I was or really just people. looking for an answer to the question, but obviously you're stoned. Um, Dr. Drew, I want to hear your thoughts. Well, I, you know, the, the, the story you, I agree with Norm, actually, believe it or not, the, the story you dragged out about the oh, man eating the marijuana cookie could just as easily be a drug withdrawal syndrome from the prescription drugs he was taking. In fact, the cannabis may have just been incidental. Now, I'm not saying cannabis is not associated with psychotic episodes. I'm not saying that the forensic pathologist is not right. There are human consequences from this drug. But that has nothing to do with the yeah. argument about whether Dr. it should Drew. be legal or illegal. Dr. It's Drew. just the facts Dr. about the Drew. relationship with the drug. Dr. Drew, Nancy, Nancy. I really appreciate Dr. Long Call. I, I do. I'm a big fan. But you're in our house now. All right? So you can't just throw out a fact. You don't like, get to talk. Uh, okay, Norm, just try to get it out of your system so I can address Drew on this. Dr. Drew, you can't just throw out a fact unless you have backup for it. Now, do you have Such any as. evidence that this man that just guns down his wife in front of his children? was having withdrawal from some other drug. In the police report that you say is the factual matter that you've taken off the internet, there were empty pill bottles found in his room. And the fact right. is, he may have, there's a common thing right now is that people are being dismissed from their medical care because they got, get carried That's away right. with their opiates Do and their benzodiazepines. They go into withdrawal and in fact they use pot to try to deal with the withdrawal from the, from the prescription meds. Okay, I, I, I appreciate where Drew is headed. But the facts govern this case, Dr. Arnall. There's nothing in this father's bloodstream but pot-related but, but, substances. But Nancy, that's very much my point. All the drugs would be Arnold. out. He would be in withdrawal because everything is out uh -huh. of his system. He would and necessarily... So actually, that makes my case. Actually, the fact that there's nothing in his system, there's no makes suggestion... Makes the case for withdrawal. Makes the case for withdrawal. Withdrawal only happens when everything's out of the system. Well, Where were the pills at his bedside? Why isn't that still in his bloodstream? You know, ridiculous. Dr. I see this all the time. It seems Dr. Drew confused her a bit. Let's listen as Nancy Grace debates Nancy Grace on the effects of cannabis. The judge allows in evidence that Trayvon Martin did have marijuana in his system at the time he died. What difference, if any, does that make? It's because I've seen too many felonies, and I don't mean pot sales or growing pot like this guy up in Connecticut. To me, it means that he is less likely to pick a fight with someone. I mean, people on pot shoot each other. Isn't it true that when you smoke pot, you just want to lay on the sofa and eat? People on pot kill families, wipe out a whole family. The common uh, connotation pot goes with lethargy, with uh, the munchies, with wanting to eat, with being laid back, not with chasing somebody down, jumping out from behind bushes, beating them in the head till, till they're pulpy, and, and, and basically starting mortal combat. That's not what you typically equate with smoking a doobie. I've got to be drinking booze, or I've got to be smoking, or I've got to be 
high on pot. Our next story, a boorish ham. This one's halfway between elementary graduate and Oedipal Earth, so... The billionaire oil tycoon and CEO of Continental Resources, Harold Hamm, told a University of Oklahoma dean last year that he wanted certain scientists at the university dismissed. Why? Well, because they were studying links between oil and gas activity and the state's nearly 400-fold increase in earthquakes. Hamm is a major donor to the University of Oklahoma, which is the home of the Oklahoma Geological Survey. Ham has vigorously disputed the notion that he tried to pressure the survey's scientists. Ham stated, I am very approachable and don't think I'm intimidating. I don't try to push people around. Scientists overwhelmingly attribute the sharp rise of earthquakes across swaths of the central U.S. to the oil and gas industry, primarily deep underground disposal of vast amounts of wastewater, which is produced with oil and gas. The injected water can alter underground pore pressure and cause faults to slip, earthquake scientists say. In Oklahoma, with a number of earthquakes of a magnitude of 3.0 or greater increased from an average of 1.6 a year before 2009 to 585 last year. Researchers at the OGS, or Oklahoma Geological Survey, have been slower than many others to draw a link between the industry and the earthquakes. Because they are being bought off by Mr. Ham. Shake Your Foundation by I Say Day Say. And now, we'll continue with Edible Earth. Don't frack my mother. Don't frack my mother. When I said I liked my fish battered and oiled, I didn't mean for you to release crude oil in heavy surf. So far, just 10,000 gallons of the estimated 101,000 gallons of crude oil that spilled near Refugio State Beach has been recovered, with 7.8 miles of coastline along Refugio State Beach affected by the heavy crude goop that has taken a toll on seabirds and ocean life. In all, 9.5 square miles of ocean have been affected by the spill. At the same time, federal regulators said the pipeline's operators must take a number of corrective actions before resuming operations. Darren Palmer of Plains All-American Pipeline told the AP that the company took full responsibility for the oil spill and planned to pay for the cleanup while also limiting the environmental impact. Palmer said, Plains deeply regrets this release has occurred and is making every effort to limit its environmental impact. Our focus remains on ensuring the safety of all involved. Plains Pipeline, the large Texas-based company responsible for the pipe that ruptured in Santa Barbara County, has accumulated 175 safety and maintenance infractions since 2006. Plains' rate of incidents per mile of pipe is more than three times the national average. Such incidents may include problems with the pipeline, storage tanks, and drains, among others. Among the more than 1,700 companies that operate pipelines in the database maintained by the federal agency, only four companies reported more infractions than Plains Pipeline. The company, which transports and stores crude oil, is part of Plains All-American Pipeline, which owns and operates nearly 18,000 miles of pipe networks in several states. Well, that's a scary thought. 
The company's infractions involve pump failure, equipment malfunction, pipeline corrosion, and operator error. According to federal records, since 2006, the company's incidents caused more than $23 million in property damage and spilled more than 688,000 gallons of hazardous liquid. A Plains Pipeline spokesman did not immediately respond to a request for comment about the regulatory record. In a statement Tuesday night, the company said it was working with authorities to contain the damage caused by the rupture in Goleta. The company said it inspected the pipeline's integrity two weeks ago, but the result had not come back before the rupture. Before that inspection, the last review of the line, which can pump up to 6.3 million gallons of oil per day, was in 2012, according to the company. Over the last 10 years, the Pipeline and Hazardous Materials Safety Administration, which is part of the Department of Transportation, has assessed $115,600 in civil penalties against the company for violations that include failing to maintain adequate firefighting gear and relying on local volunteer fire departments. Plains Pipeline has also been cited for failing to install equipment to prevent pipe corrosion, failing to prove that... failing to prove that it had completed repairs recommended by instructors and failing to keep records showing inspections of breakout tanks used to ease pressure surges in pipelines. The U.S. Environmental Protection Agency cited the company for violating the Clean Air Act at a storage facility near Taft in Kern County, California. The agency said the company did not obtain the appropriate permits and equipment. The enforcement notice was sent two and a half weeks ago. Hmm... It must have gotten misplaced in the junk mail stack. That has to be the explanation. It can't be that there's been so many cuts to government regulations and oversight that corporations can get away with gross negligent violations for years before shit leaks, collapses, or explodes. Nah, has to be the junk mail stack. And now it's time for my science, history, and technology segment I call Cool Shit. Cool. 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 Shit. Cool. Cool. Shit. Our first story, saved from bacteria by the skin of shark's teeth. Did you know that sharks don't have teeth? Say what? They don't have teeth, or at least not teeth like we have. Shark's teeth are actually specialized scales, and their mouth is not the only place you find specialized scales. A shark's skin is covered in little teeth-like scales called dermal denticles. Say what? Say what again? Say what again? I dare you! In fact, shark's skin is so rough, it's the original sandpaper and was used by carpenters since time immemorial. Japanese swordsmiths used ray, skate, and shark's skin to add grip to the katana. So when the samurai's hands got bloody, his sword remained steadfast and firmly held. Now, a whale's skin is easily mucked up with barnacles, algaes, bacteria, and other sea creatures. Ew, seriously? That is so gross. But sharks, on the other hand, stay squeaky clean. Although these parasites can touch a shark's skin, they can't take hold and thus simply wash away. Now, scientists have printed that pattern on an adhesive film that will repel bacterial pathogens from hospitals and public restrooms. Part 2 of Fuck MRSA just snuck up on you. Patented by Sharklet Technologies, a Florida-based biotech company. Holy shit! 
good things can come out of Florida? The film, which is covered with microscopic diamond-shaped bumps, is the first surface topography proven to keep bacteria at bay. In tests in a California hospital, for three weeks the plastic sheeting's surface prevented dangerous microorganisms such as E. coli and Staphylococcus aureus from establishing colonies large enough to infect humans. Bacteria have an easier time spreading out on smooth surfaces, says CEO Joe Baggin. We think they come across this surface and make an energy-based decision that this is not the right place to form a colony. Because it doesn't kill the bacteria, there is also little chance of microbes evolving resistance to it. Hey, it worked for sharks for 40 million years. Oh no, now you did it. The young earth creationist Christian scientists will now come out in favor of bacterial infections. Good job. Anyways, this is good news for hospitals. More infections from drug-resistant superbacterias like MRSA, a potentially fatal strain of staph, are becoming commonplace. Ew, seriously? That is so gross. But that's not all the technology based on shark skin denticles can do. Another function of natural shark skin denticles is to reduce drag, and some aircraft, navy, oil, and cargo ships have started experimenting with denticle-like surfaces and expect significant fuel savings as a result. Our next story, it's no pottery barn. Gobekli Tepe is an archaeological site at the top of a mountain ridge in the southeastern Anatolia region of Turkey. The site includes two phases of ritual use dating back to the 10th to 8th millennia BCE, or before current era. During the first phase, or the pre-pottery Neolithic A, circles of massive T-shaped stone pillars were erected. More than 200 pillars in about 20 circles are currently known through geophysical surveys. Each pillar has a height of up to 6 meters, or 20 feet, and weighs up to 20 tons. They are fitted into sockets that are hewn out of the bedrock. In the second phase, or pre-pottery Neolithic B, the erected pillars are smaller and stood in rectangular rooms with floors of polished lime. Topographical scans have revealed that other structures next to the hill awaiting excavation probably date back to 14 to 15,000 years ago, the dates of which potentially extend backwards in time to the concluding millennia of the Pleistocene, predating the end of the last ice age. While the site formerly belongs to the earliest Neolithic or pre-pottery Neolithic A, up to now no traces of domesticated plants or animals have been found. The inhabitants are assumed to have been hunter-gatherers, who nevertheless lived in villages for at least part of the year. So far, very little evidence of residential use has been found. Through the radiocarbon dating method, the end of layer 3 can be fixed at about 9000 BCE, but it is believed that the elevated location may have functioned as a spiritual center by 11,000 BCE or even earlier. The surviving structures, then, not only predate pottery, metallurgy, and the invention of writing or the wheel, they were built before the so-called Neolithic Revolution, in other words, the beginning of agriculture and animal husbandry around 9000 BCE. But the construction of Gobekli Tepe implies organization of an advanced order not hitherto associated with Paleolithic societies. Around the beginning of the 8th century BCE, Gobekli Tepe lost its importance. Aww. The advent of agriculture and animal husbandry brought new realities to human life in the area, and Gobekli Tepe apparently lost whatever significance it had had for the region's older foraging communities. 
But the complex was not simply abandoned and forgotten to be gradually destroyed by the elements. Instead, each enclosure was deliberately buried under as much as 300 to 500 cubic meters of refuse consisting mainly of small limestone fragments, stone vessels, and stone tools. Why the enclosures were buried is unknown, but it preserved them for prosperity. And now it's time for a quickie, pun intended. A new study by the University of Texas Health Science Center in Houston. Wait, a show where I can talk about good things that came out of Florida and Texas? Holy shit! The study found that men who consumed between 85 and 170 milligrams of caffeine a day, or the equivalent caffeine level of 2-3 cups of coffee or tea, were 42% less likely to report erectile dysfunction than those who didn't consume any. <laughs> Men who consume between 171 and 303 milligrams of caffeine a day were 39% less likely to report a soft, <laughs> unimpressive, <laughs> flaccid <laughs> outlook on sexuality. Caffeine sources in the study included tea, soda, and sports drinks, as well as coffee. But how does it work? Well, the caffeine makes the muscles in the penis more relaxed. And those relaxed peen muscles mean increased blood flow and boom! Not tough actin' to actin', but stronger erections. Or, as the researchers put it, the suggested biological mechanism is that caffeine triggers a series of pharmacological effects that lead to the relaxation of the penile helicine arteries and the cavernous smooth muscles that line the cavernosal spaces, thus increasing penile blood flow. You know, <laughs> he has an erection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Apparently, what your parents warned you about was right. Well, caffeine can get you up in the morning. It might keep you up at night as well. <sighs> oh, sorry. Just having a sip of tea. Erection by Narkill. And now, they're not important, but they are funny, weird, entertaining, or at least good enough to make it in the news. It's not not noteworthy news. Trollolo by Edward Kill. And in not not noteworthy news, this time, if kids taught sex ed. Sex is confusing enough for adults. Just remember how complicated it seemed when you were a kid. Check out some of the most insane and hilarious childhood misunderstandings about sex that some people have come forward with now that they're all grown up. The first person wrote, I thought that men got pregnant with boys and women got pregnant with girls. Next person wrote, I thought you were pregnant the moment you had your period and the boy closest to you was the father. When I first got my period, I was nine and it was during Disney's The Hunchback of Notre Dame. I screamed all the way home because I thought Quasimodo made me pregnant, and I was going to have an ugly baby. Next one. Until I was eight, I thought babies came out of your butt. <laughs> Next one. There was a commercial for glow-in-the-dark condoms claiming that they protected you in the bedroom and kept you safe. All I could imagine was this little glowing robot that sat on your bedroom floor at night. Next one, when I was in kindergarten, a classmate told me that having sex was when you took little toy dinosaurs and rubbed them on your private parts, and I believed her. Ooh, she gonna be a freak. Next one, 
I used to think that the penis moved itself, just like some weird psychosexual robot. The girl would turn the guy on and lie down, and the guy would position himself, and his dick would, like, have at it. It'd be nice from time to time. I'm sure a lot of women would like it if men had a prehensile cock. Next one. I used to think that if a man touched a woman's boobs, she would get pregnant. Just automatically, as soon as she was touched. She started growing a fetus like boob touch. Poof. Pregnant. And unfortunately, that's the last of them. That was fucking hilarious. And now it's time for Darwin Weeps. Stories about dumb people that would make Darwin weep for the future of our species. Don't chase bears with dull hatchets if you're drunk. Personally, I would recommend not chasing bears with dull hatchets even if you were sober. Just saying. Police in Massachusetts offered some words of wisdom Monday night. Getting drunk and chasing bears through the woods with a dull hatchet is not advised. The North Adams Police Department posted on its Facebook page that a Davy Crockett wannabe was taken into protective custody after police found him chasing a bear through the woods with a hatchet. Yes, this really did happen tonight, the police department statement said. The local police then urged residents to leave bears alone and call the police if they spot one. The police department said they were still trying to figure out what the hatchet man planned to do once he caught the bear. Any thoughts on what he was going to do if he did locate it, we would certainly like to hear because we have no idea, police said. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. What does that look like to you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Is the bear? Yeah. Yeah. Is the guy... Yeah. Yeah. Seems more game warden thing to well, me. It's illegal, Burton. I know that. Oh. Merchant of Death by Ramen Djuadi. And that's it for our show today, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for joining me. Hopefully we'll do it again together real soon. In the meantime, I am Jeff. I am a seeker of Veritas. Check out my Tumblr page at sovcast.tumblr.com. That's S-O-V-C-A-S-T dot Thank you.